glad that we can be here on this Lord's Day, first and foremost, but also a time uh, that we are celebrating this week as a nation, our independence, and if th- there are things that if we don't pray about and take very seriously, uh, if we begin to take certain liberties that we have for granted, as we have seen uh, throughout the course of history, we could lose those liberties. And so I think the Word of God brings the right perspective for us to do that. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of First Peter. First Peter, toward the end of your New Testament, so toward the back of your Bible. And if you're wondering exactly where it is, it comes right before Second Peter, right? Well, thank you for standing as we open God's Word together this morning. And uh, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says, Submit to every human institution because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those, who, uh, as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For it is God's will that you, by doing good, silence the ignorance of foolish people. As God's slaves, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king or the emperor. Father, we come into your presence this day and we ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment on how we should live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. And Lord, we want to be good citizens of this great country. We want to be even better citizens of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we want to know that our words and our actions honor Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for this nation. We pray for your protection upon us. We pray that we would be uh, the people of God in this nation who lead for change, who lead for revival. Lord, we know that in this nation that There are churches today, believers today, seeking divine intervention. And Lord, we know that when we are strong as the church, it makes for a better nation and world. Lord, give us again the instruction of your word by the Holy Spirit today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The United States of America... How many of you know that the word united does not necessarily mean unity? Raise your hand. (laughs) Union and united does not always mean unity. I can't remember who first said this, but many have repeated it. If you want to know the difference between union and unity, tie two cats by the tail and hang them over a clothesline. You will have union, but you will not have unity. And I think that kind of describes what our nation looks like today. Our nation is so polarized. I I don't think in my lifetime I have ever seen so many people be so ugly to each other. And as the church, we shouldn't be ugly people, right? We should be the salt of the earth. We should be the light of the world. The church should rise above any hate, any arrogance, any ugliness. Our faith, the faith once delivered to all the saints, brings a different perspective. It brings a perspective from above, and that perspective is becoming less and less popular. We've been preaching through a series this summer called Unpopular, 
And the perspective that the Bible brings to the Christian, that the Christian brings uh, to the world in which they live is often an unpopular perspective. Now here's the concern, and I believe I'm summarizing the words that Abraham Lincoln said a long time ago, and he said it's, it's not so much that we should ask whether or not God is on our side, as our nation was certainly divided in those days and is divided today. He said the question is not whether or not God is on our side. We should be asking are we on his side because God is always right. We can miss him from time to time, but God is always right. Right, so it's not a matter, is God on our side or are we on his? When Jesus Christ comes again, and I'm looking for him to come soon, I'm saying in my prayers constantly, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But when he comes again, he will not be riding the back of a donkey, nor will he be riding the back of an elephant. When Jesus comes again, he's going to come on a white horse, and he's going to come as king of kings, and he's going to come as lord of lords, and he's going to come to take over, not to take sides in that day. Now, as citizen Christians... We're praying thy kingdom come, but as we pray thy kingdom come, we're to be modeling the kingdom as we live on this earth. How do we do that as Christians? How do we bring a godly perspective to all that is going on in such a polarized nation and such a different world? And so I want to talk about just three influences this morning from a kingdom perspective. And I want to talk about, I I guess today I'm, I'm seeing even among my friends and and among those who are in ministry today, I'm seeing even a divide among them. That some are, some are kind of saying that um, we should be, we, we should almost have a blind patriotism, embrace everything that our leadership throws at us, regardless of what it is. And on the other hand, those who are almost uh, rebellious toward any kind of national patriotism whatsoever. And, and the Bible often, as with every subject, brings what we might call a biblical balance. And so we need to back up as Christians and say, wait a minute, what does the Bible say about that? And as I read a passage like the one we just read or the rest of the Scriptures, I realize there are some things, some perspectives the Bible brings that help me in this process of being a good citizen, a good patriot, but most of all, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first perspective is this, my greater allegiance is to the kingdom of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is my greatest allegiance today, to the kingdom of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he's talking about obeying those civil authorities that are in place in this passage, he says, because of the Lord or for the Lord's sake in verse 13. It means what I'm doing, I'm to do to please God first and foremost, and my actions and my attitudes should be Christ-like in such a way that God is honored in all that I do. I am, according to verse 15, to be about the will of God. His will transcends every human agenda and every agenda of any national political party. I want to know about the will of God. In verse 16, I'm reminded I want to be God's servant in this world. Do I want to be a good citizen of the United States? Absolutely. Am I a patriotic human being? I certainly am. But I am first and foremost one who has a greater allegiance to the kingdom of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, according to verse 17, it says, fear God. I fear God more than I fear man. And I want to know that I am pleasing him in all that I do. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. This does not mean that patriotism is wrong. 
If you go back and, and you read Paul's heart in Romans, like in Romans chapter 9, you can tell that this great missionary to the world, he's brokenhearted because of his loyalty to his own people, and, and he's so brokenhearted over the Jewish people, uh, of people of his own ethnicity. He's saying, I would to God if I could be accursed so that they would be saved. He had such an allegiance to his own ethnicity, to his own people. Paul loved his people. He was broken for them. He did not have a blind allegiance, and he did not embrace embrace everything that the Jewish leadership said should be embraced. He practiced maybe even a religious sort of civil disobedience at times, but he acknowledged that there were consequences to their rejection of Christ, and and he was brokenhearted over that. So as a good citizen and as a patriot, I should be brokenhearted over the sins of a nation, and I should pray for that nation. The United States of America is not God's covenant people. The church of the living Christ is God's covenant people. And this nation will be as strong as the church is in this nation. So many times at national prayer rallies and and political gatherings, you'll hear the Christians quote verses uh, like out of 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will, uh, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Well, that was given to God's covenant people in the old covenant. If we move into the new covenant, we realize that's not a promise to the United States of America. That's a promise to the church in the United States of America, God's people, if we will respond and we will repent, and we will pray, then we'll see God even bless a nation because we're being the salt and light he's called us to be. Now, I realize 80% of Americans would circle Christian if they were given a choice of stating what their religious preference is. However, only about one in six Americans today claim to actually have been born again. That's hardly a Christian nation. One in six claim to have had a born-again experience. That's interesting since Jesus said that if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And so I will stand, by the way, as a patriot. I'm going to be one of those who stands for the national anthem. I'm going to teach my children to stand for the national anthem and respect their country. And when I stand for the national anthem, I'm going to have a tear in my eye. And uh, I'm going to be thankful for those who gave an ultimate sacrifice in order for us to enjoy the freedoms we now enjoy. But I will also, while I'm standing for the national anthem, be praying for this nation that the many who have no longer considered themselves as one nation under God will return to being one nation under God. My allegiance will always, first and foremost, be to God and his gospel. Remember in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles were being persecuted and they were told, listen, as long as you're here in Jerusalem, don't you be preaching Jesus anymore. And Peter said, look, yeah, we want to be good Jews, but we're, our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they practiced civil disobedience in that moment, and they said, listen, you decide for yourself if you should obey God or man. We can't help but speak the name of Jesus. And so they were going to even disobey the laws, and they were willing to, by the way, this is what makes it civil disobedience. It's not rioting. It is saying we're willing to take whatever punishment comes our way to identify with Christ and his suffering to do the right thing. And they were willing to do the right thing and suffer the consequences. If the flag of this country ever ceases to represent 
one nation under God, I will always stand for the cross first. I will always stand for the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ first. And as I stand as a patriot and as a citizen of this nation, I will pray that we remain one nation under God. But it's the cross that will always stand for freedom. With the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So my greater allegiance is to the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I bring that, and I believe that that doesn't mean that you're not a good citizen. I think it makes you a better citizen when you are loyal to Jesus Christ first. Secondly, I want you to know that my greater accountability is to stand for righteousness over personal benefits. Now, we say that and we preach that as a church quite often. We need to stand for righteousness over personal benefits. We don't want to be self-centered. We want to be God-centered. We want to be Christ-centered. And then when it comes time to vote, everybody votes the economy. Everybody votes for whoever thinks they think is going to help them out the most. Living as a free people is important. When you go back to look at verse 16 in this passage, yes, we need to live as free people. But he says, don't use freedom as an excuse to justify your sins. We don't use our freedom in a way that becomes a license for us to live anyway. I, I remember being in Romania on a mission trip and talking with a pastor over there after they had gotten out from under the tyranny of the Soviet Union. And a pastor said, our churches had more passion when we were under tyrannical leadership than we do today because everyone has used their freedom to be so westernized that, that we've embraced the sins of your country, but we haven't embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to use our freedom as a cover for sin. We, it is to promote the praise of that which is good, verse 14, the punishment of that which is evil. And we as a church need to still describe to the world what we believe is the difference between good and evil. He says in verse 17, honor everyone, but he doesn't say honor all actions of everyone. Recognize that people are sinfallen, and yet sinfallen people were all created in the image of God. And so there's a way that we want to honor the image of God in people, but call what is right, right, and call what is wrong, wrong. That's why I will still stand in this nation for the sanctity of all human life. From the moment of conception to the moment of natural death. That speaks to not only the uh, atrocities in the abortion industry today, it speaks toward racism and anything else. That we need to see every man, woman, boy, and girl as those who are created in the image of God. It speaks against all abuse. It speaks against all sexual exploits. When we see what's going on today with the sex slave trade in this nation, it should break our hearts that a nation would tolerate some of the things that are taking place today. And so instead of asking, who will stand for me because, by the way, I am voting with the majority, or because I'm in a particular ethnic group, or because I have a lifestyle that's in maybe a minority, instead of saying, who will stand with me because of who I am or what I believe? I need to be asking, who will stand for what is right? Who will call what is right, right, and who will call what is wrong, wrong? And, and by the way, as the church of the living God, 
Always know the word of God is perfect and true and right. And Jesus Christ will never let you down. But don't look at sin-fallen man and expect that you're going to agree with him every time. You're probably not even going to agree with this preacher every time. And so I see so many people take that all-or-none approach. And so if they vote for an individual because they stand for things that are right, like religious freedom and uh, like sanctity of human life, they must still be willing to stand and say, but this is wrong. Marriage is still between a man and a woman according to the Word of God. God still expects character among leadership. And so it's okay that you don't take an all-or-none principle when it comes to knowing your greater accountability to stand for righteousness. We don't do that as parents, do we? When our kids do well, we say, good job. Man, that's fantastic. You'll be rewarded for that. When our kids do what is wrong, we punish them and say, that must not be tolerated. And whether you're talking about the President of the United States, the government, whether you're talking about uh, children, whether you're talking about those who are in Uh, county and state, local politics, we need to be able to say that action was right and worthy of applause and that action was wrong and must not be tolerated. So don't just take an all or none principle because somebody says they're of a certain party, but stand for what is right and stand against what is wrong and do so in the spirit of love that we know that God's word is true and they may not have embraced that fact. My greater accountability is to stand for righteousness over personal benefits. Not looking out for who's going to take care of me and pad my wallet, but looking out for what is right. And finally, I want you to see this morning my greater affection. This is where I think the church is struggling today. My greater affection relationally is for the family of God. My greater affection relationally is for the family of God. Verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. Some translations say, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The word love there, agape, unconditional love. What does that look like? Paul describes what it looks like in the book of Philippians. And church, this has been something that I've been praying for, for our own denomination, for all Bible-believing evangelicals, and for the church worldwide. I've been praying that we would understand what this is all about. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, the King James uses the word bowels there, that's that deep-seated emotion that you, you just feel connected down deep. He says, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or selfish ambition, some translations say there, or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Why do I say that it's important right now? Because when we live in a sin-fallen world, which means that our leaders in this nation and in our world are going to be sin-fallen men and women, then we're going to have different political strategies. We're going to have different political paradigms. There are going to be organizations and strategies that all fall short to some degree. And as the church, we can't lose our love for one another when we disagree about what strategy we're going to embrace. We can't blow our testimony in moments like this. I saw this most prevalent in our last presidential election. There was a a choice that some felt like was between 
uh, two people whose character they weren't so sure about, but they said, as, as a church, some of them said, but one stands for religious freedom and the sanctity of human life, and I've always said I will vote religious freedom and human life. That's what I've always said. And so I did. And there were others who said, oh, but you can't vote this way if you're a Christian. You've got to go with a third party because we can't compromise because certain character issues that we expect out of leaders. And so Christians began to debate this. Bible scholars were back and forth. People who love the Lord Jesus Christ, love his word, stand for the sanctity of human life, stand for marriage between one man and one woman and the sanctity of the home. People who believe on all of these things were all of a sudden, for the first time in a major election, in disagreement. And you know what? Because we're a sin-fallen world, we're going to disagree. But as the body of Christ, that is no excuse to be ugly to each other. As the body of Christ, we have to say, listen, we live in a sin-fallen world, and we have some principles we're going to stand on, but on strategy, we may disagree from time to time. We may not understand, and so we can't call our brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with us politically as we can't call them names. We can't say you're stupid. We can't say you don't have any sins. Because, listen, when, when the nations all fall, and they all will, and the kingdom of God rises above everything, we're going to live forever with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to show the world that we have a greater allegiance to the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that makes us better citizens of this great nation when we're standing for the cross of Jesus Christ. And that though we disagree with our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes, we realize that all earthly kingdoms will one day pass away, but Jesus will come again. And we're going to stand together now. We're going to be united even though our strategies may be different. Our political paradigms may be different. We're going to stand together for what is right, what is just, what is true. We're going to love God and we're going to love people. And then you might say, well, What about those who are outside the faith? Well, we need to love them too. There are people who will never embrace your stand for righteousness because the Bible says that the carnal mind, the unregenerate, those who have not been saved, cannot discern the things of the Spirit. And so rather than me getting angry at them for disagreeing with me, I should realize that they are enslaved to sin and that their father, the devil, has blinded their hearts and their eyes. And what they need more than my anger is they need my love in the gospel of Jesus Christ because their great need is redemption. You might say, oh, why can't they just see that this is right and this is wrong? Because they've not been born again. And until they embrace our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they'll never see it. And so what is more urgent than getting them to vote right is getting them to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so that means we have to love people we disagree with because either they're part of the body of Christ and they've embraced a little bit different strategy and we just need to love it and and model a love that overcomes that. Or they're lost and in need of a Savior and they need the love of Christ that only you and I can show them in order to be saved. And that pretty much sums up everybody, right? Would you bow your hearts with me this, and your heads with me? Father, we thank you that we have life and liberty in Jesus. 
We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy in this nation. Forgive us when we don't recognize that they come as a blessing from God. Lord, we thank you even more that there is freedom in Jesus. Right here and all around the world that people need to hear Jesus saves. Lord, when we're better Christians, we'll be better citizens because we'll be the salt and the light of the earth that you've called us to be. Help us to live and help us to love as you lived in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.